We are continuing our communion sermons on seven sayings of Christ. We've got today and, and uh, Lord willing next month and we'll be finished with that. Today we look at the word that is probably the one that is most familiar to us and really one that is full of so much encouragement and joy. But before we read God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come before you and we want to confess that we are sinners. Lord, we fall far short of your standards of holiness. Lord, we, even in our best moments, offer a very weak and tainted obedience to you. Lord, we know that even in our best, our, our good deeds are mingled with sin. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us and grant us repentance. Help us to truly change, we pray. Lord, not just by sheer willpower, but we pray, Lord, that, that we would be motivated by gratitude and love. I want to pray especially this morning as we contemplate what Christ has done for us, that we would be moved by these words. Uh, your word to us. We pray that we be moved by the sacrifice of the, the true word, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that you would so fill our hearts with love and gratitude that we would, we would want to serve you any way that, that you would please. We pray that we would be like Isaiah, who when he uh, saw you high and lifted up in the temple uh, and, and uh, you atoned for his sin as he expressed his consternation at his own unworthiness. Lord, you asked, who will go for us? Whom shall we send? And, and he said, here am I, send me. Lord, may we be motivated by a gratitude and love for you that would help us to go and do and, and be sent by you to whatever you would have us to do in the callings that you've given uh, our lives to do those as unto the Lord. Uh, Lord, maybe we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. I pray that we would discover that and that you would help us to see. Most of all, Lord, we pray today uh, that we would all uh, come to a deeper faith in you. Lord, maybe some of us are old Christians, and, um, but Lord, we never stop growing. We pray that today we would grow, grow in our trust of you. And Lord, maybe there's some here who have never trusted you. We pray, Lord, that they would and that you would grant faith along with that repentance we asked for earlier. We pray, Lord, now that you would open our ears and our eyes, that you, we would see what your word has to say to us. And Lord, we pray that you would write its truth upon our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 19, 28 through 30 is what we are reading today. I invite you to look there with me as we read. God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Just pause for a moment. I know uh, some people don't like it when I interrupt the scriptures. Uh, but... 
uh, wanted to make a note here of the reason that Jesus, of course we talked about him thirsting last month, but one uh, reason that he would do so was so he could make this declaration that he's about to make. Surely he has suffered, he has dehydrated, he's lost a lot of blood. He gets, uh, he, he's refused the wine that was offered at the beginning because that was mixed with uh, an intoxicating agent to alleviate the suffering of the one being crucified. He refuses that, but now he, he wants some water. Maybe he wants to moisten his throat so that he can say what he's about to say, the most glorious words. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, today we're going to contemplate this triumphant shout that Jesus cries out on the cross. It is finished. It's but one word in the original language. But in that one word is contained the sum of all joy, the very spirit of all divine comfort. What did Jesus mean when he declared, it is finished? It means that he has perfectly and completely finished the great work of redemption committed to him by God the Father. He came to do the Father's will. The Father sent him into the world to do something for sinners such as you and I. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was indicating that all the obedience needed for sinners to have a relationship with God was completed. And all the judgment that rightly was to be poured out on sin had been poured out on Christ. Jesus Christ had done a complete and total job for sinful human beings like you and me. That which needed to be done for us to be able to have a personal relationship with our Creator has been done. It is finished. It is complete. Jesus did all that sinners need to do. Now if we look at that word in its original language, it's a word, it's a fairly common word, but it has uh, different shades of meaning, different nuances, and if we look at the different nuances of that meaning of it is finished, we see an even more uh, glorious picture of what Jesus has done for us. In one sense, this word means to carry out, to, to finish, to carry out the will or the instructions of someone else. And of course, that's what Jesus has done. John 6, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. All the work needed to be done so that Jesus could save sinners, He has completed fully and totally. Not only did He carry out that work obediently, but He did it freely and joyfully. And my wife is a teacher uh, of fourth graders, and fourth graders will render obedience to her, uh, oftentimes not freely and not joyfully, as she relates to me quite often. Sometimes it's very grudgingly. They do not want to face the consequences of Mrs. Horn's wrath. 
But Jesus' obedience was not given grudgingly. It was joyful and free. It was, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, for the joy that was set before him. That's why he endured the cross. It was his joy to do the Father's will, to complete the redemption for us. So yes, so in the first instance, to carry out the will or instruction of someone, that's exactly what Jesus did, and he did it joyfully, freely. Another nuance of the word is is to bring something to an end. In Luke 19, Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, what he's saying here, as he says it is finished, the work uh, of saving sinful human beings is over. It's completed. It's it's ended. He has completed it. He has accomplished it. It's done. He's brought that work to an end. All that needed to be done has been done. Or thirdly, another nuance of the word, it is finished, means to fulfill obligations. What one is under obligation especially to pay. I had the great joy this past week of paying a bill that I had for some time. Pay it off completely. That's a good feeling. Uh, if you ever made car payments over years and years, and you, it's a joyful day when you write that last check and put it in the mail. And, uh, and they send you back the paperwork. And maybe it even has on it. Paid in full. That's the, what the word means. It's finished. It's paid in full. Jesus has paid it all, as the old hymn goes. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Paul in Corinthians, in the first letter to the Corinthians, says a couple of times, you were bought with a price. Jesus on the cross paid the full and complete price. There are no other obligations to be met because he's paid them all. And then fourthly, another nuance of this word means to carry out religious acts uh, or feasts, such as, such as feasts or sacrifices, to, to complete these sacrifices or to complete these feasts or any other religious ceremony. The word is used quite a bit in reference to that, uh, not only in biblical language, but in the language of the Romans uh, and the Greeks as they worship their gods. But of course we know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's that sacrificial lamb who by his once and for all sacrifice of himself on the cross has paid the price for sin. He has fulfilled all obedience. The writer of Hebrews again, by a single offering, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. All that was provided for Christ completely and totally. He has carried out all the sacrifice that needs to be made in order to cleanse us. I love John Flavel's sermon on this passage, and I want to quote something he says uh, about it. He says, He finished it completely and fully. All that was to be done by way of impetration, that's an old word meaning to uh, petition or entreaty someone. Uh, Christ has uh, acted on our behalf, uh, to, to pay for sin and to, to be our representative. That's what he means there. 
all that was done by way of impetration and meritorious redemption is fully done. No hand can come after his. Angels can add nothing to it. You think about what it might mean to be perfect. If something is perfect, uh, it's only perfect when it lacks nothing. It has everything that it needs. And something is is perfect when there's nothing that can be added to it. It has it all. And Jesus' work in his life and his death is perfect. It's complete. You can't add anything to it. Flavel goes on. Such is the work Christ finished. Whatever the law demanded is perfectly paid. Whatever a sinner needs is perfectly obtained and purchased. Nothing can be added to what Christ has done He put the last hand to it when he said, it is finished. There's no more work to be done. Now that's basically what it means, that Christ has done it all, completely. He has completed the work of redemption on the cross, and he declares it so when he says, it is finished. Now he does have a little more work to do. He's going to rise from the grave in three days, uh, but he's done everything that needs to be done uh, at this point. He's finished it completely and fully. Now I want to draw out a few inferences for us. Uh, four. Some are shorter than others. Uh, some are, some uh, uh, will help us to take and say, what does this mean for you and me? First of all, if Christ has finished the work of redemption, there's no need to add to it. There's no need to add anything to it. His work of salvation is complete and perfect, Everything you need to be saved is found in Him. Many people are trying to accomplish this already work of salvation on their own. Uh, Or they think they're doing so. They try to be good and moral, and they think that when they die, God is going to look at what they have done and say, well, that's good enough. You can come on in. What does the scripture say? The most famous verse there is. For uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. God sends his only son into the world to do everything needed for salvation perfectly and completely. He kept every duty perfectly. He never committed a sin. He suffered and died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins that were committed. But someone would say, oh, I don't need that because I'm good enough on my own. Well, what you're doing is blowing off God's gracious provision for salvation. He's gone to so much trouble and sent his only son into the world. And you're going to do it your own way? And you think that God is going to accept that? He's not going to be pleased with that. You're dangerously mistaken if you think so. You can't do it on your own. And you cannot add anything to it. It's already complete. It's already perfect. Again, Flavel says, Can we finish that which Christ himself could not? But we would fain be sharing with him in this honor which he will never endure. 
Did he finish the work by himself, and will he ever divide the glory and praise of it with us? No, no. Christ is no half-savior. Oh, it is a hard thing to bring these proud hearts to live upon Christ for righteousness. We would fain add our penny to make up Christ's sum. I love that. To add a penny to, to the sum that Christ has already paid. He won't have it. He's paid it all. There's no need to pay anything else. By trying to add a penny to it, we want to steal some of his glory, the glory of what he's done in life and his death. God gives us the righteousness of Christ like he gave manna to the Israelites in the wilderness. You, you know the story of the manna in the wilderness? It was uh, bread from heaven, angel's food, uh, some people say. And it just was there on the ground every morning and all they had to do was go gather it up. And they only gathered what they needed for the day and the next day they had to go at it again and, and just go pick it up. It was there for the taking. Except... Uh, the day before the Sabbath, they gathered up twice as much so that they uh, would have enough and wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. Some people tried to, to gather up a week's worth, and of course it turned sour and turned to worms, and it was a bad scene. Well, it's like that. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.16 says, He fed them with manna in the wilderness that he might humble them. Now the food wasn't what humbled them, that they had to eat manna. Uh, you know, that, it, was, it was good quality food. But it was the manner that it was given. See, they had to depend upon God every day for their food. It's a lot different than going and tilling the soil and planting the seed and working it yourself. And you can, you can look at that bread that you made and uh, that you planted, you know, the wheat that you planted, and the flour that you ground, and you kneaded the dough, and you did all the work, and now you have a loaf of bread. Well, God says, no, I'm going to just give it to you. Just give it to you. You don't have to sow. You don't have to reap. You don't have to uh, grind it. You don't have to knead it. You don't have to bake it. You don't have to do anything. I've done it all. Christ has done it all. And it humbles us because we, not, we cannot contribute to the process. He just gives it to us. The only thing left to do, once you have accepted this free gift, is to be grateful for it. And that's true of Christ's salvation. It's full, complete salvation. We've trusted Him by faith. The only thing left to do is say thank you. Not just once, but with our lives. To live lives of gratitude and love. See? The, the, the answer to the struggle of the Christian life is not to try harder, but it is to grow in an understanding of who Christ is and what he's done so that you might grow in love. Because what did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. See? You, you, you will be grateful. You will be thankful. You will want to please him. Not because you're trying to earn his favor, but because he's already given you his favor. And you're rejoicing in that. And you want to please him. So the Christian life need not be lived by trying harder. It is meant to be lived by loving Jesus more. By understanding this great sacrifice and the profundity of it. And the glory of it in a deeper way. 
And that will fuel your obedience. You think of the prodigal son. You know, he's blown it. He's gone and wasted the inheritance. He's no longer worthy to be called a, a, a child of uh, this family. And he's going back to the father. And the father runs out to meet him. And he doesn't let him work for it. He doesn't let him be a servant in the household. He just takes off his dirty robes and gives him a new uh, robe and, and uh, a, a, a ring on his finger that indicates that his status is restored and he welcomes him into a great feast. All this freely given. Now do you think after that moment that this young prodigal son is not going to be grateful and thankful and faithfully serve the Father as he has experienced this great grace and love that the Father has given to him. It's the same for us. We contemplate all that he's given to us. I was talking to somebody this week and they were talking about you know, just the, the, the wonder and uh, the excitement they had about all that Jesus had done for them and how he had changed their life. And I said, don't ever lose that. Because it's bad when people lose that, that, that wonder and gratitude. Because that does fuel your obedience to the Lord. Now, inference two. If Christ has finished the work of redemption, there's no need to live in discouragement. And Christians are often wandering around in discouragement. If we think about why we're discouraged, often it's because we fail. We're not as as faithful as we would like to be. We struggle with certain sins. There's nothing finished that we do. We blew the parking lot yesterday uh, and raked up the leaves. And that's a job that does not end at First Presbyterian Church. Because as soon as you blow the leaves off and you think you've got it perfectly, they're just, they keep falling down. I remember I blew the back parking lot back in, I guess it must have been last spring or something on my day off. I thought I'd get out and do some exercise. And, and I did not look at the weather report because there was a storm coming in the evening. Well, I blew all those leaves and got up Sunday morning thinking, oh, it's going to look great. It looked terrible. It looked, it looked like I didn't do anything. A job that was never finished. That's that. Living the Christian life you know, our duties are always imperfect. Um, they come off lamely and defectively from our hands. Um, even the best duties, they're mingled with sin. But here is the grand relief. Again, Flavel says this. And that which answers to all the grounds of our doubts and fears upon that account, Jesus Christ has finished all the work. Though we can finish none of ours. And so though we be defective, poor, imperfect creatures in ourselves, yet, notwithstanding, we are complete in Him. We are complete in Christ. Christ's complete obedience is imputed to us. It makes us complete, and we are without fault before God. Yes, we want to do better, and we ought to be humbled because of our sin constantly, yes, but we keep running to Jesus and rejoicing in the fact that we are complete in Him. He has perfect righteousness for us. And that leads me to inference number three, very short. 
If Christ has finished the work of redemption, then he will also finish that work in us. He's finished the work of, of redemption, and he's going to finish that work in us who have faith in him. As he says to the Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, just in conclusion, what a complete, finished, perfect thing is the righteousness of Christ. The searching eye of the holy and jealous God cannot find the least flaw or defect in it. Let God or conscience look upon it. Turn it every way, view it on every side, though thoroughly weigh and examine it. It will all appear a pure, a perfect peace containing in it whatsoever is necessary for the reconciling of God and man or pacifying a distressed and perplexed soul. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls. And let's be like the, the Israelites who faithfully went out each day trusting in God's provision of the manna. Trust, trust his completed work. Trust his work. Put your life in his hands. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. So what's such good news for sinners such as we are? Such good news that we can hear that Christ has done it all. And we can be cleansed and forgiven and seen as perfectly righteous in your sight based on what he has done, what he has accomplished for us. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to trust you and to, to be struck and with awe and wonder at your grace and love and mercy. And Lord, may we love because you first loved us. We pray now as we turn our attention to your table you would once again impress these truths upon our, our minds and our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.